listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. This morning, I'd like to invite you in your Bibles to find the Gospel of Luke. When Drew came and shared with me his idea, I thought, okay, now I have to go write a a Christmas sermon. But you know, for for Christians, the Christmas is that moment, that moment of celebrating and remembering the best gift that we have ever been given. This gift, it comes in the form of a baby that is born in a manger who would grow up and live a life of unbridled obedience to God the Father. He would then willingly give up his life to save sinful enemies of his. And as the worship team reminded us this morning, this this idea around Christmas is something that we should not limit to only a few days or weeks out of the year. But the season of Christmas is a time like no other. It's a time that is filled with, I would say, enormous anticipation. I mean, we anticipate getting together with family and friends. We anticipate time off from work. We anticipate doing those family traditions like decorating the tree and uh, going and looking at Christmas lights and building those goofy little gingerbread houses. We anticipate so many things. But I think the greatest anticipation we have is that giving and that receiving of gifts. I mean, we take it and we just wonder, okay, what is it going to be? The anticipation builds as as you rip open that paper and get into that box and you pull out that gift you have been hoping for. I think when we receive gifts, there is this anticipation that continues to build. In fact, when I was a kid... I can remember going, and you know, I lived in a place we didn't have them all way before internet. That I would take the catalogs, you know, service merchandise, J.C. Penney's, and I would leave them out open to certain pages, you know, for my parents to make sure they saw, you know, an idea of something to get me. I would take those pages and turn those corners down, so if they happened to be flipping through, that page would stand out to them to make sure they understood what would be a great gift. For their great son, you know. But when I think about the the idea of giving and exchanging their gifts, I believe there are really only two types of gifts. There's the type of gift that either meets or exceeds your expectations. Maybe you wanted that jean jacket because you had been watching uh, Back to the Future. And you open that box and there is in that box the exact replica of what Michael J. Fox wore. And, and that gift, is it just meets your expectations. And they can also exceed them. Maybe you had been hoping for that remote control go-kart, and you open up that box, and inside that box is not a remote control go-kart, but keys to an actual go-kart. And, and that, that gift just exceeds your expectations. And you can watch a person... And you know whether you have met or exceeded that expectation by how they respond. They open it up and it's, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you, I love you, I love you. So you know you've hit the mark. But there's also gifts that don't meet our 
expectations. That second type of gift, it isn't what you had hoped for. Maybe you've been hoping for that new iPad and you open up that box and instead it's a membership to the National Geographic Explorer. And you can just see and it's like, oh, that thanks. I mean, you know, that is not at all what they expected. So what I want to do this morning, I want to relate this thought to our lives in a very particular way. What we will see today from Luke are two ways of responding to God's gifts, or we could say His promises. We're going to see God make two very similar promises or gifts to people, and you will see two totally different responses. In fact, one's going to end in great blessing the other one will watch, that it will see, it will unfold. It's a response that ends in discipline. But you're in the Gospel of Luke, so a little bit of background first is Luke is a physician by trade. I believe Luke is a very curious person. He's a learner. And he comes on the scene later in, in life, meaning he was not there when Jesus died and in his resurrection. He, didn't, he was not one of those kind of first account witnesses of all the things that have been happening. But he is hearing all the things that Jesus did and he said, and Luke wants to know more. So Luke talks to everyone that he can. And I believe he's amazed at what he discovers. And so one day he sits down and he crafts this letter to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus is a Roman official, totally different worldview, totally different life than what Luke has. In Theophilus, he is having a hard time believing all the things he's hearing about this man Jesus. But think about it, it would not have been easy for a Roman official to believe that this poor Jewish teacher, executed as a criminal, is in fact the Son of God. I mean, that would have just blown his mind. It'd be hard for him to believe that such a man that he is hearing about could actually be an eternal king and the savior of the world. So look at verse 1. This is how it begins. Insomuch as many had undertaken to compile a narrative of these things that has been accomplished among us. Luke says many people have written about this. And he says, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that has been delivered to us. They saw and they wrote it and they were telling us about him. And so he says, it seemed good to me. I thought it would be a good idea for me to write about this also. Having followed closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. And this is why Luke wrote this letter. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He wants to help his friend Theophilus. He wants to help him know about Jesus and what he did. So that Theophilus would believe upon the name above all names. And so Luke is trying to show Theophilus that there are two ways. He's going to give him a case study. Two ways of responding to God's gifts or his promises. And he's going to hold this up to Theophilus. One will end in blessing and one in discipline. So here's the wrong response. It's by a man named Zechariah. He begins in verse 5 with Zechariah. He's a priest and he's married to a woman named Elizabeth. 
And notice what it says about this couple in verse 6. And they were both, they were righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Now, wouldn't it, that be incredible for people to think about you that way? When they heard your name and they're describing you, they say, oh, they're so righteous. I mean, they, they walk blameless in everything that they do. And this is how people saw Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. But there's a problem. Look at verse 7. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were now both advanced in years. So their problem is, she's unable to have children. Now they are way beyond those childbearing years. I imagine that over time, they, they just came to accept that this was God's plan for their life. But they continued to pray, it says. But God's about to give them a gift. They're about to unwrap a present here. The scriptures go on to tell us that it was the time of year to select a priest that would go into the temple and, and burn the incense as a representative of all of Israel. It was a great honor to be chosen. So Zechariah, it's his year. And he goes in all by himself and he receives a gift that he is not expecting at all. Look at verse 11. And there appeared to him... An angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear it fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You're thinking, what an incredible gift. First of all, it's, it's hand-delivered by Gabriel. And he tells that Zechariah will be a father. Elizabeth will soon become pregnant. And not only are they just going to have a son, this son, he, he's going to be special. He is going to be an incredible preacher. He'll be one that will proclaim truth about God. And it says that he will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. He's even going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is in the womb. It says he's going to have the power of Elijah to turn people's hearts back to God. His son was going to be John the Baptist that would prepare the way for Jesus Christ that would have the privilege of baptizing Jesus. Now I'm thinking, that has got to exceed their expectations. I mean, what an incredible gift he has just received. But notice his response in verse 18. And Zechariah, he looks at the angel Gabriel and he says... How shall I know this? Or how can I be for sure? How, how can I know for certain? It says, for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. You see, Zechariah, he receives this amazing promise and gift from God. And he, he looks at the angel and he says to him, prove it. I mean, he's just given him this incredible gift. And what he's doing, he is looking and he's asking. He says, you know what? I can't be for sure. Zechariah, he is looking for more evidence. 
When he, when he thinks about this gift and he holds up the circumstances that he is in, he's, he refuses to believe and he doubts. And he says, I'm old, she's barren. Man, we're way beyond anything about human control in this situation. And he doubts. He refuses to believe. And his heart, it's turned to disbelief. And when he hears that he will have a son with Elizabeth, he does not believe that God can take their, uh, their, their current circumstances and really take charge of the situation. Zechariah does not believe. He is refusing to put his trust in God's promises by saying, I will not believe it until you can prove it to me. Zechariah is saying, I will not believe this promise until you can remove all of my doubt. I need to be sure before I take that step of faith. So the angel looks at him in verse 19. Look at what it says. The angel answered him. He says, listen, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will now be silent and unable to speak until the day that this promise, this gift takes place. And this is the reason. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You know, so the first way you can respond to God's gifts and His promises, it's with disbelief. It's by demanding more evidence before you're really going to believe and trust Him. Because of His unbelief, and He's unable to speak, He says, until... Until God then gives you and fulfills this, you will have to remain silent. Imagine Theophilus is hearing this and he's watching this unfold before him thinking, why did he not believe this angel? Why did, why did he not just take that step of faith and believe it? And so then Luke gives him another side of this. He shows him Mary. And I'd say Mary is the right response. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was then again sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. So this young woman, she's engaged to this man named Joseph. The two at this point, they're, they're legally married but they have not joined each other to consummate their marriage. In fact, in this time, it was often, this is how it would happen. There would be a legal binding between two people. An arrangement was made and the dowry was paid. They would be legally married. But then the husband, the, the engaged man, would go off and he probably begin preparing his house and making those final adjustments that he needed. And then he would go and he would bring his bride home. And it says in verse 28, And he came to her, so she is legally married, but she has not been with him. And the angel says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord, he is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what, what sort of greeting this could possibly be. 
Now, I imagine Mary, she's, she's just going about her normal day. Maybe she's gone to the market. She's helping her mother prepare meals. And all of a sudden, there stands Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, and he's speaking to her right in front of her. And she's troubled. It says greatly. I mean, her head had to be spinning, trying to make sense of what is going on here. But it's important to note that the initial response from Gabriel is exactly the same. Both Mary and Zechariah says they were troubled when the angel of the Lord was speaking to them. And the angel gives them the same response. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And he comforts them both. He wants to put them both at peace. Now notice her promise. Notice the gift that she will one day unwrap. In verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son. And he shall, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, notice how special this child is. First of all, he will be great. Meaning, he will sit above the rest of humanity. He will be different. And he will be called the Son of God. Of the most high. The, when you would say to someone son of. It was referring to someone who possesses his father's qualities. And the angel tells her your son Jesus will be the one that will display the qualities of God the father to the world. He goes on to say and, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign. Meaning Jesus he will reign on David's throne, and he will rule over all of Israel and the world. And then the last thing about this child, it says his kingdom. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and in his kingdom there will be no end. Meaning one day there will be no re-election. One day Jesus will reign forever and ever on that throne. You think, what an incredible gift to this young teenage girl. What a gift she is receiving. I mean, Zachariah, he also, he received a gift and he responded with disbelief. Not until you can prove it to me will I believe it. And he's asking for more evidence. But notice young Mary's response. And at first, the responses seem the same. She says, and Mary said to the angel, she looked at Gabriel and she said, How will this be since I am a virgin? Man, do you notice the little subtle difference? Mary, she's not asking for more evidence before she will believe. Mary believes the angel. She's just asking for more information. I mean, when Mary hears this incredible thing that's about to happen, when she hears about this gift and this promise, and she thinks about her circumstances, she's not overtaken by, by disbelief. She's overwhelmed and she's confused. Zacharias said that he needed to be sure. Mary. Mary is willing. Zechariah. He wanted all of his doubt to be taken away before he was going to trust God. 
Mary's saying, I will trust God. I just don't understand. She's willing, but she's confused. Now, we've worked, uh, we've worked with our children on this thought for a long, long time. Now, we stole it. We stole it from a man named Winford Hodges, one of our elders. Now, our children have yet to master this. One day, one day we hope. When we give our children an, an instruction, they will tell you that there are two responses. Their first response is, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. That's the first response. They can, they can choose to, to do that. The second response is, may I ask a question? And see, this is, this is the premise that we stole from Winford Hodges about this. Is that the premise is that when you tell your child to do something, that obedience will happen. I say, yes, ma'am, or I say, yes, sir, and obedience is going to happen. But if they're confused, they can ask a question, But they, because maybe they need a little bit more information. But obedience is still going to be there. So it might be something like this, that Marla might look, and I don't know, I'll pick on Marcus. She says, Marcus, um, put your shoes away. And he can say, yes, ma'am, and there's obedience, there, there's trust, there's belief in that. But he can also say, may I ask a question? And she says, Marcus, put your shoes away. May I ask a question? Yes. Well, could I put them back on and go outside and, and maybe weed the, weed the flower bed for you? And uh, then when I come in, I'll put them in their rightful place. And see, the thing is, is that, yes, there, there should be, and hopefully there is immediate obedience, but there can be a time where they need more information, and they can ask that question. They're not disbelieving because obedience will still follow. So Mary is not doubting in disbelief as Zechariah. She is simply looking for more information for understanding. I mean, Zechariah, he had his mouth shut for his disbelief. But Mary, you know what she gets? She gets at least a partial explanation for her faith. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit, it will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of of God. So Luke gives Theophilus and us two ways of responding to God's promises or his gifts. And one of those is disbelief by demanding more evidence. But the other is the one of faith while asking for more information just for a greater understanding. But I, I, I want to make I want to make a couple of qualifiers on this to, to just kind of help us. I want to I make two observations about these responses of, of kind of when God gives us gifts and he gives us promise. The first one is this, is that it is not wrong to want evidence for our faith. In fact, belief, we would say, belief or faith is not groundless. It, it's not this just blind faith that you're stepping always out into the unknown. Because faith is not the absence of all doubt. That's not what faith is. Faith is not when there's absolutely no doubt. We can have faith, and you can still doubt. Mary did. 
In fact, that baby that her cousin Elizabeth is carrying, John the Baptist, he went out. He said, are you the one or should we expect someone else? I mean, he's sitting in prison and for preaching the truth about Jesus. And John even had doubts. So faith is not the absence of all doubt. But here's what faith is. It's continuing to believe and obey in the midst of all your doubt. And I think the picture is Mary standing there with her hands open to, to receive God's gift. But she's just asking for more information about God and how He is going to work this miracle. Yes, God, thank you for this gift. I believe you and I'm going to trust you. How are you going to work this? Because, man, I know who I am, and I know what hasn't happened, and I know that that has to happen before that happens. So how are you going to work this out? But I still believe you. But there is an evil. There's an evil in demanding signs beyond what a humble heart and an open heart should require. And I think that is Zechariah. He is standing there with his arms crossed, and he says, you know what, I, I need more evidence. I'm going to need more evidence before I can trust God to really work out this miracle. When you show me that, then I will be all in. So how does or how can this actually relate to our lives? Of him using this case study with Theophilus in our circumstances today. And so students and our kids... I want you to really listen up to this last part. Because there's there will be things in your life. Some things will be exactly what you have planned and expected. You might expect to get into a certain college, graduate with a certain degree in a determined amount of time. And one day, you know what? You're going to open that box. You're going to open that gift. And it will be exactly like you planned. But some things, you know what the good news is? Some things, they're even going to be beyond what you expect. You're going to work hard one day, and you're going to work on a certain project or whatever, and, and you've done everything you possibly can. You gave it your all, and you're expecting a raise. And you might get a raise, but you know what? You might also get a promotion. And it is going to just exceed what you expected. But there will be times... There will be times that you're going to receive a present and you're going to open that present from God and it is not going to be at all at what you expect. In fact, you're going to open it and you're going to want to return it. And you're going to want to have nothing to do with what is in that present. You can work really hard in school. You can apply yourself in college. You can stay out of trouble. You can work hard to save your money and get ahead. And you can do all the right dating tips. And you know what? There will be times you're going to open this present and it isn't at all at what you expected. And life will not be what you had planned or even what you had hoped for. And you know what? We can make plans. Yeah, work hard. And you can put all the safeguards in place and you should. But all things must be left in the hands of our mighty God. You don't get to pick your presence. He does. And He is the Father that knows best. Man, some of you are going to open and, man, you're going to celebrate. Man, that's exactly what I wanted. 
And some of them you're going to open and you're going to want to close that box and send it away going, I want nothing to do with that. But the problem is for many of us, when we open that present and we find things that we did not expect and things that we really don't want, it's hard to believe that God is really working it all out for our good. It's hard to believe that. But it's in those moments It is in those moments that God is saying, trust me, child. Trust me. I can and I love to do the humanly impossible, just like Elizabeth and Mary. Trust me, child. And what we see today are two different ways of responding to the gifts and the promises that God is going to give. One way is to cross your arms and demand more evidence before you're going to trust Him. But the other is to open your arms and simply ask for more information as you continue to believe. But I want to leave us. I want to leave us with hope. I want to leave us with some hope this morning because I don't want you to remember Zachariah the way that he was presented to us. For the length of that pregnancy, Zechariah had to sit there with his mouth shut and he could not utter a word. I think he had so much time to reflect and to think. But the day came, the day came that that baby was born. And that promise was that Elizabeth would give birth to a baby and that baby would grow up and God would use him in incredible ways. But there was a call of obedience. Do you remember? There was a call of obedience that Zechariah was to call his name John. Well, that young baby is born. In fact, in Luke 1.57, we begin reading about John's birth. When he's eight days old, it says it was time to name the child. Everyone Everyone saw how great Zechariah was. I mean, he was righteous. He, he was blameless in all of the ways that he walked. And everyone wanted to honor that man, Zechariah, by naming that child after him. That was a great honor. <laughs> and then we read these powerful words. Look at verse 63. And he asked for a writing tablet. And Zechariah scratched out the words. His name is John. And this is the truth. Even the best men and the best women will fall into belief from time to time. None of us. Not even myself, not our elders, not our deacons. No one can trust God's promises perfectly every day. You can't do it. But thanks be to God. Though we may have to endure some correction like Zechariah did for our unbelief, the good news is He doesn't cast us away. If we repent and we set our hope anew on Him. And so here's the lesson. The lesson for us, have faith like Mary. But if you fall into unbelief, don't despair. Instead, you know what? Repent. Accept God's forgiveness in Christ. And then you go on blessing the Lord. And that is what He has 
for us today. Let me pray. Father, as your children, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us. Thank you for how it corrects us. And how it can inspire us to carry on. And so, Father, I'm so grateful for men like Zechariah that you don't hide the bad things about them. You bring it to us front and center. That he failed miserably in unbelief. But in the end, he repented and he came back. And he followed you in obedience and faith. And Father, we thank you for examples like Mary where she heard this incredible gift and when she unwrapped it, it was not at all anything that she expected. But Lord, she followed you in faith. So Father, we thank you that you are big enough. We thank you you are big enough to handle our unbelief. You are big enough to set us back on our feet to call us to a life that becomes more like Mary. So Father, this morning we thank you for your truth. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for correcting us. And so, Father, help us to have faith like Mary. And in those moments when we don't, when we fall into unbelief, that we would turn back to you and that you would set us fresh each and every day. And so, Father, it is in him that we believe today. And by the power of your spirit, we pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.